You are listening to Keep Canada Weird, a weekly weird news roundup by The Nighttime Podcast. Hello, listeners, and welcome back to Keep Canada Weird, a series in which my pal Aaron and I seek out and explore the more interesting Canadian news stories of the past week. In tonight's episode, we're going to take you on a bit of a wild ride. We're going to share stories about dead crows and dying pigeons, a senior's fall in the snow, a shitty arsonist, and the unique way a criminal from my childhood rose to the bottom of YouTube's live streaming platform. So buckle up and let's get into it. Aaron, we're back to keep Canada weird for another week. How you doing? I'm doing good. I'm feeling weird tonight, so I'm ready to to be with the rest of Canada and be very weird. Is there uh, any particular reason you feel weird? Like, do you mean like you ate something or you didn't sleep well? No, no. I, I feel weird in a silly way, you know, in a fun, okay. flirtatious way. <laughs> okay. Well, this could get interesting then. Um, and you don't know what brought that on? It's just something in the stars or... Just as soon as you hit let's go, when you hit the button to record, um, all of a sudden I just felt saucy. <laughs> Uh, well, it's going to be a wild one. I think this, uh, this, we've been building up the last few weeks in terms of weirdness. I think tonight is going to be kind of, uh, it's going to be keep Canada wild because we're really going to get into it as we go. Yeah, I got um, some wild stuff on the uh, chopping block tonight. Wild and weird. I'm very excited for it. We should start though with, actually, before we get into updates, because we have some updates to past weird news. Um, what's been new with you? Anything going on? Uh, there's nothing new again. The the world is cold molasses right now. So uh, you need to make some, you got to make something happen. So we got something to discuss at the beginning. You should go out just to see if you can drum up things to talk about. Yeah, I was thinking about uh, running down the street with my shirt off and screaming at the neighbors. Yeah, that could be interesting. Yeah, uh, actually, that may suit. Uh, that may tie into what we're going to talk about in a little bit. Yeah, it's kind of why I was dancing around it a bit. But I, uh, <laughs> that's, uh, apparently, that's something you can do now. Uh, apparently, yeah, and it's okay. <laughs> um, not much has been up with me. Let me think. Well, no, I didn't I don't, ask, so I. Uh, I'm a, uh, the, the assumption was there that you that was assumed. Uh, you assumed that I wanted to know. I never gave you any idea that I wanted to know how you're doing. Okay. Well, let's skip ahead. Let's forget about that. Um, I got two updates that are really interesting uh, mm. from from and both from last week's episode. So one of the best parts about like making a podcast and sharing stuff is you talk about things that people that are smarter than you are going to listen to so they can correct you. So you kind of learn like not really by osmosis, kind of learn th- by I don't know, like a, just slamming into a window and then eventually someone's like, oh, here's how you open the window and mm. they show you and then you get in. So we kind of did that last week about two different two different topics. Uh, two separate listeners sent us in kind of corrections, clarifications, and they did so for anyone who's interested in how you go about this, right in the link to, or, or right in the podcast description, there's a series of links. One of them is to contact Nighttime. And also if you watch the live stream in the episode description, there should be a contact section. Or if you go on my website, nighttimepodcast.com, there's a contact section and you can send 
you click a button to record and it sends a voice memo that I can play on the show and respond to you. So if you hear us say something that drives you nuts, send us the correction. Even if you want to give like bad critical feedback, I will air that too and talk about it. Um, but anyway, let's get back to the correction. So when we met last week, we talked about a few different stories and one of them was um, the phenomenon surrounding Tim Horton's Tim Biebs, which led us onto a tangent uh, which was our first major disagreement about how donuts were made. I famously thought that they were made by liquid um, batters in in line with pancake mix being dumped into hot grease in the shape of a circle and a donut coming out. You thought, and you can explain how you thought they were made. I, I more thought that it was the kind of um, dough was kind of made into a circle and then the middle was cut out with whatever kind of cutting device he would use uh, similar to a cookie cutter they cut the middle out and then it all goes through the oven and uh, then you're left with excess dough from cutting out the middle which you would then fashion into timbits or donut holes depending on uh, what country you're from and what you call them there so that's mm -hmm. how i kind of thought they were made yeah and my idea was you, you when you were done you would just making the circle donuts you would just dump single blobs of the ba liquid batter into the grease to make you know the timbits and i always as since i was a kid i thought there was it was a kind of a joke on like these are the centers of the donuts but there's not really centers anyways uh a listener named ingrid knows a whole lot more about donuts and she, in 30 seconds she can take us both to school listen to this Hey, I'm sure a ton of people have reached out to you about the donut holes and the timbits. Um, but I just wanted to explain the difference between a cake donut and a yeasted donut. So the cake donuts are made, like you said, your father had this machine thing that held the batter and the batter is kind of wet and it drops into the hot oil. Whereas the yeasted donuts are made like bread and they're rolled out um and and stamped out with cookie cutters so there's the little hole in the middle the little round timbit in the middle that's left over that you can then cook and make a timbit so you get the idea there's cake donuts and yeasted donuts yeah so the yeasted thought? donuts was i guess was the process that i was more referring to whereas you were referring to the cake donuts uh i thought it was the other way around but maybe but i kind of I think I was surprised by the revelation that there are two different and unique types of donuts. Right, um, right. Which I did not let, know that. I did not yeah. know there was two different processes to making let donuts. Me, Play it one more time and, and yeah, let's let's get this straight. So the cake donuts are made like you said. Your father had this machine thing that held the batter. And the batter is kind of wet and it drops into the hot oil. Whereas the yeasted donuts are made like bread and they're rolled out and, and stamped out with cookie cutters. Huh. Okay. Yeah. So you were right initially. The cake donut is the style that I was more familiar with. Mm -hmm. You were more familiar with the yeasted batter or the yeast donut yeast style that donut, punched out. Yeah, process. Yeah. So yeah, we were both right. Um, but I still like to think that you were... 100% wrong as opposed to 50% right. What I wish is, what, is she should have said, the, the, the Ingrid who left the voicemail, she should have said how she knew that. She probably works in a bakery or something. 
I would assume she sounded extremely knowledgeable on the subject. I like that she pointed out, I'm sure you've heard tons of, from tons of people explaining to you how actually donuts are made. No, <laughs> just, just her. <laughs> just you. Just you. The question is, how does Tim Hortons make them? Right. Now, I imagine that to be more a factory-based kind of, they have one assembly line where it's just, you know, they have the exact cutouts of whatever they're doing. There's no cutting out of the center of the donut. I imagine they have it down to much more of a, a processed thing. Let's. Uh, I'm not going to waste much time with this, but let's give it a shot. I'm going to call a Tim Hortons in Mount Pearl, Newfoundland. See if mm -hmm. they'll tell me. Then we'll move on. How busy thing can they be? I just don't think they're really the type of business that cares if they answer the phone <laughs> none of their none of their services are phone based so um it's not like they're taking a lot of takeout orders at tim hortons everything is drive through and walk up yeah you're probably right all right i'm gonna leave them be um but I'm, i want to figure that out another time well i'm sure there's a tim hortons employee who listens to the show maybe someone else can further solve the mystery that's a call out yeah for someone um we got another update so we learned a bit about tim hortons uh, or we learned a bit, bit about donuts and timbits and that whole thing through ingrid but one of the other things and this was just a passing reference last week or a passing kind of thing we said um we talked about the man from quebec who bought all of the potatoes in from PEI that would have probably just been buried because they couldn't export them out of the country because of the potato wart and all this stuff. Um, at the end of that, I, uh, or, or during that, I looked at a photo of all the potatoes this man bought and had shipped to Montreal. And I, I just said that that's a lot of potatoes, <laughs> which to you sounded like. It sounded like a catchphrase in a sitcom that you would have as your as as the problem and the tension is building and and the kind of issue is revealed your character looks at the camera or one of the other characters and says well that's a lot of potatoes well we have a listener from the quebec area who really knows television shows i don't know how he knows television this well but that may not have been an original catchphrase listen to this Hey, Jordan, this is Peter in uh, Elmer, Quebec, it's right across the Ottawa River from the nation's capital. Uh, just listening to your Keep Canada Weird episode from Jan 18th and uh, heard you and Aaron laughing about the uh, tagline, hey, that's a lot of potatoes. And, and it would make a good, you know, joke in a sitcom. Well, I wanted to tell you that that's already been done. If you were to watch Seinfeld season nine, episode seven called The Slicer. Kramer, uh, Kramer shouts that out into uh, an open apartment. So check it out. Are you a Seinfeld fan? Yeah, I've seen the, I've seen the Slicer episode. I don't remember that line. Um, I'm not sure if it's delivered in the sense of a tagline kind of thing that a character would say, you know, on a weekly basis. It's probably I, a, a no. line from a show. I looked it up. Is it? You're gonna, Is it? You're going to hear it in a sec. Yeah. Oh, you have it. Um, Excellent. Okay, let's yeah. hear it. So do you know uh, the episode, The Slicer, what I understand is Kramer buys like a meat slicer. He, and he, yeah, he borrows one, I think. Someone lends him a meat slicer and, uh, and, and he becomes obsessed with it. With like cutting like deli style meats. Yeah, the thinnest slices, like they're cutting meat. 
trying to feed the cat that uh, under the door under and the stuff. door so they so he needs the meat slicer to get the thinnest slices so it'll mm. fit under the door now i don't know the really the context of how in the story this clip fits in but i did kind of skip through the episode to find the clip and kramer does shout it into an empty apartment and it's not like a catchphrase but it's certainly a, a line he's delivering listen mm. to this the blade is all dinged up oh come on Elaine. phone call i'm gonna make phone call oh come on this is important <laughs> hey get the hell out of here Wow, that's a lot of potatoes. Oh, because he looks into the apartment. I do remember this now. He looks into the apartment. And he sees something weird going on. He's like, oh, that's a lot of potatoes. Yeah, just in fighting with Elaine, he like ends up in like the doorway of another apartment. Another but... apartment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's off screen. You don't see in the apartment. You just see him react into it. And yeah, yeah, yeah. You don't see what he's seeing, but he's looking into that apartment. It's like, oh, whoa, that's a lot of potatoes. <laughs> Uh, that's funny. Uh, I wonder if you if there was some kind of thing in the back of your brain with that phrase. Well, that's generally where a lot of stuff comes from is things you've Seinfeld heard in the Simpsons. Yeah, things you've heard other places and it's just sitting in the back of your brain. And I don't think that's where I got it from. I think it just sounded the way you said it. It just kind of reminded me of not like just a line thrown out like that is, but like this is like the the t-shirt says that's a lot of potatoes on it. Like you say it every week in the episode, you find a reason to say that's a lot of potatoes. Yeah. Yeah. I get you. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, those are it for the updates. Um, but I hazard to think about what we screw up this week and someone writes us in uh, or, or voice memos is in next week. So hopefully we'll get more updates uh, in the future. Yeah. But let's get into the stories. Uh, this week we got, we got a mixed bag. Uh, I'm going to give you a couple options and you let me know what you want to start with. Really, we can we got birds, snow, we have a uh, breaking news police update, and then we have, I guess I'll call it uh, a media expose on what may be the most interesting and fascinating Canadian media phenomenon. Well, let's save this? that one to the end because uh, the most exciting thing should be what we build up to. Yeah, good point. Right. So why don't we start with something? What do you think would be then the second most exciting story to cover this week? Um, the second most exciting is going to be, I think, the the breaking news police update and we should we should hold on to that as well because as viewers pick up and watch we want as many people as possible to learn the basics of this case because i think the listeners will solve it um let's start with the birds all right let's do so we got two stories of birds um and let me just give you some background. Uh, one, the, the first one is specifically about crows. I have a lifelong fascination with crows. So when any story comes up about crows, I'm in on it uh, and I want to know. I don't know if I ever told you this, but my grandmother, she, um, who you met, Nani Teresa, she was on the yeah, show before. Lovely. Uh, Nani Teresa, she 
used to put like her compost before we had like compost bins and garbage pickup and stuff. She would always take her compost and put it in her garden in the backyard and just let it like kind of rot there, I guess. Um, and over time it started to collect crows who would come and like eat her food as she dumped it out. And then it got to the point that they knew right when she was going to dump it. Cause it's like, she'd have supper. And then when supper was done, she'd bring it out and throw it in the garden. Mm -hmm. Uh, so crows started to show up like around 4.30 because that was kind of when she was just starting to eat or whatever. And then over the years, they got more and more kind of comfortable around her. And not only did they show up in the yard around supper time, they would perch on her like window looking into her kitchen. So she'd be, you'd be eating and in the window, like next to her sink, there'd just be like two crows just sitting there, just like watching in the house waiting for her to bring it out. And then as the years progressed, she kind of considered them her pets. And it was this right. one family of crows that were always there. And my grandmother just always talked about the crows and it was like a thing. So as, since as a childhood, I, I saw crows kind of in line with like a pet cat or dog or something. And then right. I had one, then I had one other experience that really showed me how fascinating crows were. And I actually, I made a video about this uh, in the past that's on my YouTube channel. I was uh, walking to work and I had my headphones on and it's not really anything going on. It's just like a quiet morning. And I could hear just a ton of like, caw, caw, caw up ahead. Uh, and so as I'm walking, I'm expecting to see like, I don't know, two crows like mating or fighting or something. But as I got closer to this sound, it was louder and louder. And then I realized it was like a lot of crows. And then when I got close to it, I realized all on the power lines are crows, all in the trees are crows, just all in this one random spot for no reason. But it didn't sound like a regular like crow meeting or gathering. They sounded like they were freaking out. And I was watching them fly down from the trees and from the power lines, like one at a time and land kind of on the side of the road where like the gutter sort of is. So I was thinking maybe they're getting food or something. When I got even closer, I realized on the ground was a dead crow in all in the sky around me were living crows like flipping out and they were all going down and like not eating the dead crow but they were just going and like standing next to it and screaming and when i got to where i was going which is my office i i just was stuck with like what the hell were they doing and i was googling it and i turned out it turned out that crows do this thing that's called a crow's funeral and when a crow dies the other crows in its community will actually gather and like mourn it and it seems like like that's like a thing that happens a lot. And I, I just happened to walk right into one. I have the, a video of the whole thing. Wow. Cool, eh? It's really yeah. cool. Crows are highly intelligent uh, animals, uh, birds. And um, there was this one documentary I've watched it a long time ago, but um, they were talking about the memory of crows and how good their memory is. And they'll even remember faces so there was this one instance where in the documentary that they talked about where there was a man that had, I don't know if he kicked a crow or he heard it in some fashion and the other crows remembered the man's face. And when he came back to that area, they attacked him. Hmm. And I think I remember, I think it was a CBC documentary. Uh, yeah. I watched that. It's called, I know the name of it. It's called a murder of crows. Hmm. Yeah, I think, yeah. um, but yeah, they're fascinating animals and they're much smarter, I think, than people give them credit for. But this story doesn't involve how smart they are. This is kind of a tragic story that takes us back to PEI, uh, which according to the show, the weirdest province in Canada, 
because it seems like most of our stories come from there. Uh, let me read you the article um, that I found. It's, it's a bit long, so I'm going to skip through it. This is a CBC article with the headline, Investigators Puzzled by Large Number of Sick and Dead Crows in Charlottetown. A team at the Atlantic Veterinarian College in PEI is working to identify why large numbers of crows in Charlottetown are being found sick or dead in the Victoria Park area. Scientists with the college estimate about 200 birds have brought in over the past several weeks, either to the veterinary clinic's uh, wildlife clinic or to the Canadian Wildlife Health Cooperative's pathology and microbiology lab (laughs) for the Atlantic region. Dr. Megan Jones, Dr. Jones, an assistant professor at ABC and Atlantic Regional Director of the Cooperative, said mortality at this time of year happens regularly, but a few dozen dead crows would be the norm. We want to make sure this isn't the start of a bigger issue. Really, any dead crow is not ideal. We want them all to be happy and healthy, so we always try to investigate as best we can. But certainly these numbers this year were larger, and in a very short period of time, a lot of crows have died. People working on the investigation include pathologists, technicians, and virologists, in addition to wildlife clinic staff. Jones said it's not possible to examine each crow individually, but the sample selection has shown very similar symptoms. Abnormal gastrointestinal tracts with disease affecting their intestines and inflammation in other organs, such as the liver and spleen. She said tests have confirmed it isn't avian flu, and the suspicion is that it could be a type of rheovirus, something that's caused crow deaths in the past. She said it's important to keep working until a source of the deaths is confirmed, in part to help prevent other problems. All right, so it gets a little dark here. For people who come across a sick or a dead crow, she has some advice. We would always recommend that people never handle dead animals without gloves. It's good advice. And, And for live sick animals, we'd recommend never approaching them. You don't want to stress them out. I would contact the wildlife clinic at the teaching hospital here, and they can give guidance about whether or not the animal needs to be seen and how to best approach it and transport it. Uh, so, so the doctor just explains that you shouldn't approach them or touch them, but CBC then moves to talking to someone who approaches and touches these crows. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> resident Catherine Lawrence has been finding dead crows since Christmas. That's when I came across a whole lot of dead crows. It was about 16 of them, all in a 50-yard radius, said Lawrence. She's among a small group of bird and animal lovers who have been collecting sick and dead crows and monitoring what's happening in the area. The group came across almost 90 in a single day, and they say they continue to find about a dozen dead crows daily. While the dead ones are disposed of, the live ones are put into cat carriers and brought to the veterinary clinic. Lawrence said the live ones have been docile and lethargic. They can't seem to fly very well. They can barely lift themselves, maybe two or three feet off the ground, and then they'll drop. And they're very calm when you hold them. It's devastating and it's heartbreaking. People are saying, let nature take its course. But when it's right in the middle of a city in a public area, it's kind of a tough pill to swallow, to just kind of let it go, that it, like it's a normal, natural occurrence. And then it ends with the um, the doctor explaining that they're doing further investigation at this time. They're not sure what it is, but they're they're hoping to have this solved and have more information for the public in a week or two. But the idea of imagine finding ninety dead crows in a park in one day—that is pretty nuts. It's um, really scary. Like when you think about like um, an older horror movie from you know, the sixties or something like you would 
this is what you would stumble across in, in a horror movie like mm-hmm. as, as you're walking down the path you know in, in the daytime and there's an eeriness about uh, in the air and 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 you see all these dead crows on the ground it's it's usually a signal that you should get out of there yeah and then there's an old man he's like you know the curse is real you know like <laughs> I, I could just see this like looming thing um but yeah it's it's pretty brutal and it's all in one area i'm not like a expert on crow my first thought when i read this is could someone be like poisoning them or something because it like it, it's weird that it would be in such a confined space like a park maybe there's someone who's just sick of the crows and they're poisoning them but if that was the case the doctor would have quickly been able to identify that i'm sure the first I'm thing sure they look poison at is, is something yeah when they're when whatever samples they've been sending to to labs i'm sure that's one of the things they're checking for yeah or even just what's in their stomachs and their digestive systems and stuff you know what are they eating is it that would that would be my first thought but other than that like it's you know if it's some weird kind of sickness that's just raging through this one population um it's, it's kind of scary and but crows they gather in such big packs i don't know if you've ever seen like um, oh i have seen some in the north end of sydney when i used to live in an apartment in the north end they would always gather there and there'd just be hundreds and hundreds of them just all in one spot and it used to be and the sounds that they would make and it would be when you first see it like for the very first time it's it freaks you out but then you kind of get used to it and it's it becomes mm-hmm. a, a normal thing that you see all the time in the north end of the city yeah we have the same in in halifax they all go to um mount saint vincent university there's like a large field and trees a uh, large treed field kind of place and for whatever reason the birds the crows they they go there in the in the evening and kind of spend the nights in those trees but i i live not too far from there so typically like when the right around the time the sun's setting you look in the sky it's just a never-ending stream of crow after crow after crow going in that direction uh mm-hmm. freaky animals um got one more bird story here let's see bird is the word this week this one is um we're gonna go to cape breton for this one this takes place in glace bay there are dead pigeons both on the roof and nearby road this old catholic church is where many birds called home for several years the church was at one time open to the elements but now every window and door is boarded up the building is in darkness the the windows are blocked off the purpose of that is to make it dark inside so that when you open the front door the pigeons will fly to the light they will come out the pigeons uh, the biologists have assured us that as long as this building comes down before the end of march that's an appropriate time for the pigeons before they start mating. White says he's been told the building will not be demolished until all of the birds are out. We've received about 120 pigeons so far. Hope for Wildlife have been caring for the birds that have been rescued by volunteers in Glace Bay. Some pigeons were left covered in ice after last week's storm. Meanwhile, White says the conversation in the community is around why the building was left in such a dilapidated state. And where we're at today is that this building cannot be salvaged. There's asbestos in the building. There's there's uh, uh, six inches of feces inside, I understand. It's not a safe place to be, and it, it, the only answer now is demolition, unfortunately. The Diocese of Anaganish owns the building and says their priority right now is the safety of the birds. I don't know this church. You you know Glace Bay. Yeah, I know the church. I, I, you know, I recognize it from the photo. I, I spent a lot of 
you know, a lot of my youthful years in Glace Bay, uh, never in the church, but, you know, certainly hanging around the, the vicinity of it. Hmm, yeah, well, regardless, it's a, it's a massive building in it kind of like a lot of times when a big building like that goes vacant and there's points of entry, like a window that's been smashed out or even just as the siding degrades, you'll often see like pigeons and stuff find their way mm. in and out. But in this case, for whatever, it's probably been going on for years. But based on one of the videos I saw this, there is a ton of birds living in there that are just flying in and out. But now mm. that the windows and stuff are boarded up, it's um, a bunch of birds are trapped inside. And, and then, then there's birds... ones that are trying to get in as well. They're flying because when the freezing rain comes and when the temperature drops, there yeah. there's birds trying to get into the building now to get shelter from the poor weather, and then they can't get in now because the windows are boarded up. And they, yeah, why don't they just ta- until like a, why did they bother boarding board the up windows the window? Up? Yeah, yeah. I can't At this point. understand that. Maybe somebody has a logical reason that they could. This would be one of those instances where someone could uh, call and correct us on 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 something. But yeah, well, someone in the chat, Donnie Calabrese, uh, explains that the church is spooky as hell, and I would agree with that. It does look like a spooky as heck church. Yeah, and... I find most churches spooky to begin with. It's a you know, you have uh, a lot of dead people up on the walls. So yeah, um, and the Archdiocese of Anaganish has a lot of uh, kind of complicated <laughs> issues as well that we won't yeah, get into. Yeah, th- this is this is just another you know feather it's... in their in their you know pissing off the entire world cap. <laughs> 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 but like right. it, this is this is goes it ah, there's got to be some like if you decide to just leave a building and be like i don't know what to do with it so i'm just gonna ignore it now mm-hmm. and uh to, to just but the, be able to let that happen you know selling it before it rots you know yeah, and even if that means idea. even if that means taking a loss on your sale like i'm sure a lot of these buildings they try to sell them before they go down before they give up on them and they're not getting a decent price for them and they just don't know what to do Mm-hmm. But at a certain point, the building is going to start rotting and then no one's going to want to buy it even for a dollar. But if you can at least sell it before that happens and let somebody else do something with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Um, got another update for or not another update. We got a different story to move on to. This time we're going to go pretty much right across the country. And I think this is going to make at least one listener happy. I, I got a message the other day on Twitter, I think it was someone from the US. And I think they they're in an area that doesn't get snow. So like, I guess that'd be the southern United States. Um, and what they said was that uh, they really enjoyed listening to us talk at length about like dealing with the snow and snow blowing and such. So maybe it gave them a taste of the Canadian uh, stereotypical Canadian winter weather. Mm-hmm. Um, this next story is going to do it. So this uh, I, w- I would say is a story that kind of went a little bit viral uh, it's got shared around most canadian news sites have reported on this um, because it's a feel-good story the weather and the stories of kindness are standing out this morning including that of eight-year-old clayton mcguire who started his day by playing in the snow in ottawa and then turned into a hero Clayton noticed a man lying in the snowbank outside his house, nearly buried in snow and unable to get up. He told his parents right away and the whole family 
helped to get him out before calling for help. Paramedics say the man was assessed at the scene but ultimately decided not to go to the hospital. Ottawa's mayor, Jim Watson, applauded Clayton's actions, calling him an amazing and very kind person, while others are calling him a hero for his quick thinking and sharp eyes. Good job, Clayton. That's a, that's a nice story, but it's um, that could have ended bad. I wonder, like, what... I guess the guy's in his 70s. He probably slipped on ice, landed, and yeah, banged himself number, up and couldn't A number of things could have taken down anybody during that storm, but... Uh, oh. But what could have really been dangerous if he's laying down on the sidewalk, you know, a snowplow? I can think of oh, a lot of like yeah, a lot of a lot of bad could have happened um, if somebody didn't see him and and do and get him out of the snow. Absolutely. And what do you think of the idea of like just this kind of chance looking out the window right at the exact time that the guy was there? Like that's a that's a pretty like what they don't kind of get into is just how fortunate and lucky that I like I can tell they wrote that to make it kind of light and fun and also to like Clayton is like this modest hero but another story is just the sheer coincidence of him looking out the window while this is happening and before the man had a chance to you know die this horrible death I think it's I think it's pretty awesome it's it's great that he saw him. Uh, I mean, I do remember looking out the window a lot during snowstorms and just kind of watching the snowfall. Like mm-hmm. I remember you're home from school and you're just kind of chilling in front of the window and you're and you're watching the snowfall for for extended periods of time. So I kind of understand why he'd be looking out the window a good portion of the day, possibly. So you're not impressed? Not at all. Shut it down. <laughs> <laughs> I'm proud of Clayton. I think that uh, was yeah, it. no, obviously. But at the end of the day, we'd all do the same thing if we saw him. Take his medal away. <laughs> I think the, the best part is that he didn't go out there like with his phone live streaming it. Like how many people would be like taking pictures and you know, whenever there's tragedy, you know, people say there's there's like two types of people, three types. People who will do something, people who will take pictures, and people who just like ignore it. So Clayton's one of the doers. So good on you, Clayton. You can he keep the medal. No, I, I certainly don't want to take away from Clayton's brave, brave moment in the sun. And, uh, but you know, I would have helped him too. <laughs> Where's your medal? Um, yeah. Yeah. If I see somebody <laughs> lying down, face down in the snow, I'm going to call 911. I'm going to go pick him up and give him a blanket. I think, I yeah. think most of us would. Yeah. And then you would call CBC. And then I would say, all right, now for the adulation. Now. Yeah. Smile, buddy. As he has his blanket on, like, smile, CBC's on the way. We're going to be famous, but more me (laughs) than you. (laughs) I I need some, like, kind of special music. I wish I had, like, I don't know, the cops theme song, but although there'd be a copyright issues, but... Uh, the, on this program, Keep Canada Weird, we kind of make a point to not get too dark. I don't want to get into like the crime stuff that I'm usually kind of covering and talking about. Um, but in this case, I want to make an exception. And I'm doing that specifically because the Nanaimo, BC police are requesting the public's assistance regarding a matter that's been happening in the city and they want as many eyes on this as possible. So. I don't know if I'll say I'm going to interrupt the show to air this, so we'll try to incorporate it into the show a little bit. Let me tell you what's been going on in Nanaimo. 
I'll read a little bit of uh, of a police report slash article in who knows uh, in the famous words of unsolved mysteries. Maybe you can help solve a mystery. So here's the article's headline is Nanaimo RCMP investigating after four porta potties set on fire in one night. Police are investigating after several portable toilets were set on fire in downtown Nanaimo last week. According to a Nanaimo RCMP press release, four porta four porta potties were deliberately set on fire during a four hour span on June on January 16th. So that's one porta potty an hour. Uh, the fires were reported at 7:20 p.m. in the 800 block of Old Victoria Road, 7:50 p.m. in the 100 block of Wharf Street. 9.50 p.m. at the Bastion and Skinner Street intersection, and 11.55 p.m. at Terminal Avenue in Victoria Crescent. And now we're going to get some quotes from an RCMP spokesman. It appears that several fires were most likely started by one or more persons, and that a vehicle or other means of transport was being used, said Constable Gary O'Brien, the Nanaimo RCMP spokesperson. Investigators have identified several people of interest, but to date, no arrest has been made. And they end with the, again, this is a sincere call for information. They want anyone with information on any one of these fires or all of these fires at the porta potties to call the non, the, to call the Nanaimo RCMP non-emergency line at 250-754-2345. Now, Aaron, I know we're not in Nanaimo. We don't, I don't know anyone from Nanaimo, so I don't think I can help with the case, but my idea of with the limited information I have is I would want to see these plotted out on a map where the fires are, but I can only imagine if you plot them, it's somebody like walking home from something and just like setting fires on the way. Do you have any well, theory? Well, I don't know if they would just be, it does seem like they are looking for porta potties to light on fire. I, well, I'm thinking maybe they have a theory that because there's poop in there that they'll blow up when they like maybe they'll make a big explosion or something. But after three porta potties, you're like, no, that doesn't work. What what if it's like something else you could look into is how many porta potty related businesses are there? You know, because if there's multiple companies that like rent out porta potties, would be like waste management. Is there any kind of conflict within these companies? Maybe one company is like undercutting another company. Maybe all the porta potty companies have an agreed price. We all charge, you know, $120 a night to have our porta potties out. And then a new kid on the block is like, mine are 80 bucks a night. And all of a sudden his porta potties are all burning. Right. I don't I don't know. That's that too. I mean, it's possible, but I, I don't know if I put that in the likely category though. Uh, when I first read the article, it sounded to me like it's it's a vandal situation of let's go and 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 light these porta potties on fire because you know they'll stink and you know like they'll probably have all these like juvenile ideas in their head about what will happen when you light a porta potty on fire. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's possible. But if you're on like an arson spree, uh, a bunch of kids doing this, a few issues. One is the police say they have suspects. And if they had like random kid juveniles that were suspects, like you think that this could have been a closed case. Uh, but also if you're on like kind of an arson spree, why would you keep it 
throughout the whole night just to porta potties. At some point in the night, someone will be like, "Well, let's try burning this other different thing." If we're running around lighting fires, I think they wanted to make the the town smell like shit. Is what they, <laughs> they're like. Well, there's only one way to do that. We'll light all the porta potties on fire, and then all of Nanaimo will smell like shit. Oh man, there's a good joke. There's a good one liner in the. Uh, in the chat, Donnie Calabrese <laughs> says they need to help flush out the culprit. And then after that, yeah. he said it's arson, but he spelled arson A R S E. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's that's well done. That is good. Um, <laughs> well, arson. I don't know. Uh, I don't know if we're going to get to the bottom of it. I think. I, I think the I I can't imagine the RCMP will release an update with this, but we could call maybe. Like I've done that before since I can say like, I, I would never use this sincerely, but I can justify saying like, I'm a journalist. I could call like the police station and be like, I'm a journalist out of Nova Scotia. I'm looking for an update. Like, do you have a media person? And they probably like, they may not look into it. And... I wonder if you have any listeners in uh, Nanaimo or maybe they live nearby maybe they you know know the areas that they're referring to maybe they have some logistical insight into the story or just what's the street saying yeah what's the word what's the what's the word on the street man i'm sure people are talking about it because it's a wild story and for people who are listening i'm sure people who own porta potties too are terrified oh my gosh yeah they're probably out pulling them all off the streets i've got 12 of them in my backyard i don't want these culprits burning my porta potties or they they could install cameras inside the porta potties because it's that's one other thing well that's now you now you're getting into some kind of a creepy perverted uh situation putting cameras in porta potties (laughs) yeah scratch that scratch that um no donnie's still trying to he's trying to he he peaked with arson now he's saying get to the get, bottom and he had to put bottom in quotations in quotation yeah. marks yeah yeah if so you need I, to sell it that bad it's not a great pun yeah yeah he really knocked it out of the park with arson and then now he's he's kind of slipping <laughs> um so we we got a, a big story to end with here are you ready to get into this I'll I'll never be ready to get into this. Okay, so let's let's just do it then. Let me start by giving you some background because there's a long lead up to why I brought this story to you and why it's important to me and why I think the listeners will be interested in it. So so here's how it it comes to me is um so I do this thing a lot of mornings on Instagram on Instagram, you can do like a live stream. I don't know if you've ever seen this where you just press like live and it just makes a video and you can, people can jump in and chat and stuff. So a lot of mornings I'll go, I'll like pour a coffee and I'll be playing guitar and I do an Instagram live and people will do, I'll just talk to the people in there and play songs on guitar and such. Um, big deal. Uh, people will sometimes make story requ- uh, recommendations or give me feedback on episodes. So it's just a thing I do sometimes and I enjoy it. Anyway, maybe uh, a la- last week, I think I was on the, in- I was doing an Instagram live and one of the people who joined the chat, I don't have their name and it doesn't save the, the chat logs or anything. So if this person is listening, email me because I want to thank you. Um, somebody said, Jordan, you should do an episode on the crazy Malky Woodland sh- uh, show. And I said, I have no idea what that is, but 
coincidentally, I used to know a guy named Malky Woodland. And I said, uh, when I was like a little kid, he sold drugs to me and my friends in, in Cape Breton. And they said, oh my God, it's probably the same guy. Go on uh, YouTube and find this guy. So, and then this person leaves the chat, but I continued to tell the story. And let me tell you the story of what I remembered and in my experience with Malky Woodland and then where he is now. So when I was, again, really young, 12, 13, 14, like that kind of age in Cape Breton, I remember walking to school with like two other of my friends. We were in like junior high and some guy like kind of called us over to his house and offered to give us, I think it was like, you guys want some smokes, I think. And so we went over to this house and it was this kind of like, I don't know, stereotypical kind of like bad dude covered in tattoos and stuff, kind of scary. And he gave us like a bunch of cigarettes. And then he said, you guys smoke weed. And we're like, I had tried it. And I was like, yeah, like I've tried it. And he said, well, if you need any, you come here. I'm Malky Woodland. I got the best weed or hash or whatever in all of Cape Breton. And he said, uh, I'll give you some so you know I'm not BSing you. And he gave like all of us like a little like baggie of, I think it was hash, which is like a marijuana thing. Mm -hmm. And I was like, all right, cool. This is, this guy is all right. So we left and we went about our way, our day, went to school. Then maybe like the next day or two days later, we went back to this guy to like get some more. And he invited us into his house and he had this really crappy rundown apartment. Um, and it was him and what seemed to be his girlfriend. Again, we were like 13. He seemed to be like 25 and a real kind of scary bad dude. And he invited us into his apartment and he's like, you guys sit on the couch and I'll like, you know, get something for you. And he was like going down in the bedroom and he's, his girlfriend was kind of wild and it was all smoking and alcohol in the house. And this is at like nine in the morning. So I'm on my way to school. As we're sitting on the couch waiting for him to come out of the bedroom, I heard like hammering on the door, like, oh, boom, 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 boom. It's the police. This is the, you know, Sydney police. And his, the girl starts screaming at the top of her lungs about like a warrant. And then Malky comes, this man, Malky, comes running out of the bedroom, screaming about a warrant. The cops are saying they have a warrant. He's saying, you can't come in. We're just sitting on the couch, like, what is about to happen? And then all of a sudden, like, boom, they kick the door in, they arrest him and they arrest the girl. And uh, the cops, like we, we told the cops, we're like, what do we do? We're on our way to school. And he's like, just get out of here. So we left, never went back there, never saw the guy again, this bizarre traumatic experience. Anyway, there's, there's more to it. It gets weirder. And I, we watched him and his girlfriend get arrested. Uh, we all leave and go to school and had a really like kind of stressful day being like, are the cops at my house right now? Like what's going to happen? I didn't think anything of it really. Um, then maybe like six, eight months later, a situation happened where a man in my neighborhood um, beat me up and it was uh, due to no fault of my own. This has nothing to do with Malky. It was a case of mistaken identity. I was walking down the street and uh, someone walking towards me like a grown man like a 40 year old I was like 14 or something as he walked past me he like grabbed me by my jacket he pulled me behind a school and uh beat me up like punching me as hard as he could I was covered in blood all my lip went through my teeth went through my lips like this crazy situation then this car comes in behind the school and while he's beating me up and it's like 
his wife and a kid in the driver's side, in the passenger side kit seat. And the man says to the kid, like, is this the guy? Is this the son of a bee? And the kid's like, it's not him, dad. And then the guy like lifted me up off the ground. I'm like, my whole face is destroyed. And he apologized um, and got in the car and they drove off. And as that's happening, someone who was watching it from like across the street at a house or something came over and called the police and they ended up finding this guy. He lived right around the corner. Long story short, um, this guy gets charged with beating me up with like assault and all this stuff. And I had to go to court to like testify. And the way court worked is um, so it's not like all day. It's this one case. So there'd be like, you know, five cases that are like going to be heard. So there's not just me and the people involved in that case that are in the courtroom. It's a full courtroom of people waiting for their chance. And when I sit down and my dad sitting next to me, we're waiting for our time. And I notice like on the other side of the courtroom is Malky Woodland, <laughs> the drug dealer guy. And he's just like glaring at me. And I'm sure he's thinking like that kid he's ratted there to on. testify against him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So the whole time I'm sitting there, he's staring at me and he's like this terrifying looking guy. Luckily, my case got heard first. So I went up and, you know, did my thing and I left. And as I left, I like made eye contact with him and he kind of nodded at me. Like he totally knew it was me and that I wasn't there to testify against him. Um, that was probably what I was 14. That was almost 25 years ago. Then I get this, haven't heard a word about Malky Woodland since. I never would have remembered him other than this Instagram live. And what this person told me on Instagram is that Malky Woodland is still in Cape Breton, but he has now gained kind of a cult celebrity fame as being almost like, I guess, just the most insane, wild and raw personality on YouTube, I guess, is how I would describe him. To, to give a, a, a sense of it, I'm going to play a short video and then we'll talk about, about what he does. But Malky Woodland is like a, a real deal, like a lifelong criminal, bad kind of dude is what it seems. And Google searches that I've done kind of seem to confirm that. His YouTube channel and videos he calls the Crazy Malky Woodland Show. It's almost set up like a talk show sort of thing, I guess, is what he thinks is happening. But it's really just like a madman in front of a webcam doing crazy stuff. The first video I watched is I'm going to play a short sec section of it. It's about two hours long, the real video, but I'll play about two minutes. And it's kind of the highlight of this particular video where a lot of his videos include him driving his motorcycle in his house. Inside um, his house. Yeah. Inside his house. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. So I'm going to play a video showing that uh, not working out well for him. It's about two minutes long. So just a sec. Hold out like burning rubber. Five minutes later. Burn out alone. You have to get out. One guy on the other. Oh, here comes a fire truck. Your house is on fire. Yeah, here they come. Give me the laptop. We got the cops and fire department. Give me the laptop. This is guy's match. Are you here in my house? You're at my house? Not in. Come on, boy. You like that? Well, you don't melt. No, Matthew. 
I'm, I'm doing a live stream, boy. <laughs> That's um, Malky Woodland's run-in with uh, the fire department showed up. Uh, yeah, I cut the video a lot, so you couldn't tell exactly, but he was like revving the engine and doing burnouts on the motorcycle in his living room. It generated so much smoke that his neighbor his neighbors must have called the fire department. I have a photo up on the, on the screen of him uh, that I, I took a still from it that I'm going to use on this episode's cover where the whole room is like a thick cloud of smoke and he's just kind of leaning through the smoke. So his face is kind of coming out of it and the webcam can see him. And you just see he's wearing like the cross necklace. He has, you know, like eight teeth. Oh, he's something else, Aaron. What do you think of, the, of that video of Malky? Did you know anything about him before I sent you that link? No, I never heard of him. Uh, didn't know anything about it. And then you sent me the link and yeah, my, my jaw was on the floor when I was watching him burn that motorcycle <laughs> rubber in his living room, whatever room that is. And it's his studio. It, I would say. Yeah. Well, it's his studio watching it fill with smoke. And I'm like, aren't, isn't that going to kill you? Like, isn't that, is, aren't you going to die uh, from those yeah. fumes? Isn't and that the end There's a female, here? there's a female in the video and what she does to get out of it is she puts like her shirt over her mouth as if that's going to filter out like the huge cloud of burnt rubber and exhaust. Like that house um, would need like professional cleaning, you would think after that. Why would he have a motorcycle in his house to begin with? Well, later in the video when he's, outside with the police he's not allowed he keeps saying he's not allowed to drive it in the street so there's some issue mm. with him driving that he's not allowed to maybe he doesn't have a license or maybe there could be i a can only imagine reasons, yeah that you wouldn't be allowed to ride his motorcycle so he keeps it in the house and and he he, he yells over and over again you won't let me ride it in the street so i'm going to ride it in my house and it's that's <laughs> not your problem my favorite part is as the fire department and the police are showing up, he gets really excited. You hear him go outside to see them. When he realizes that they're actually coming to his house, he he comes in the house screaming, give me my laptop, give me my laptop. And he grabs his laptop and he uses it like you would a phone to film the police and fire department. So he's out in the front lawn holding his laptop, filming himself laughing with the fire department. But, but could he get in trouble for the, Like, I wonder if there's a, I guess you'd be like disturbing the peace or something. There must be some law yeah, that prevents you doing this. There's noise laws there's yeah disturbing the peace there's you know there, there probably could be 15 different things that you could write them up with in that moment i'm sure but <laughs> but these seem like authorities that you know probably know him and 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 deal with him on a regular basis so they're trying to approach the situation a little differently than they would maybe <laughs> with somebody else <laughs> um well Malky, uh, it doesn't always end well. That particular situation, eventually the fire department leaves when when they realize he, he was justifying it with like, I'm live streaming. There's 80 people watching this. Right. But um, it's going to get weirder or not weirder. It's going to get darker. Um, he had a lot of videos up there that were just him ranting and raving. One video in particular, though, ends really shockingly. 
So it gets kind of intense, but this video that I'm about to share now is by far the most intense. And if you watch it in slow motion, you can really see how far it goes. But I'm going to play this one for you. Hell yeah, to that one heats up pretty quick that's a uh, oddly enough um, or probably not oddly unsurprisingly that's his shortest video because he got arrested 30 minutes into it yeah yeah um that's a it's a tense one it's it's a little unsettling for people who are listening and not watching he's sitting at the camera malky screaming and shouting and flexing hell yeah uh he's on the phone kind of talking nonsense he hears someone at his door which is kind of behind him he grabs a large knife off of his table and he stands up takes off his hat and sunglasses gripping his knife ready to like fight or flight kind of thing he stands by the open door that's behind him and i think the person behind the door must um must announce that they're a police officer and malky drops the knife the police officers two of them come in he explains that I'm live streaming and they try to shut down his computer or the live stream. And he jumps in front of them to kind of push them away uh, from the computer to prevent the live stream from stopping. And that's when the when the arrest starts. I'm going to play it one more time just since I explained it. It may give more context uh, when people watch it and they'll see the knife. So one more sec here. Hello, yeah. The cops who have to deal with that, I, uh, I feel for them. I would not want to be a police officer for so many reasons and dealing with like people like that. Mm, um, that, that, that was a pretty tense situation. Yeah, it's tense. It's, it's, it's hard to watch a little bit because then, you know, you know, it's real. So there's a sense of, um, it's, it's unsettling, but yeah, yeah, I, I, think I, I get a little anxious watching it. Yeah. And I think some people would probably watch that and maybe think it's set up because it's so dramatic. The cops come right in and they're like in frame. And even I would think it was like a fake viral video because when the cop comes in with his hand, Malky uh, grabs his computer chair and turns it in a way that the camera captures the whole like situation unfold. It seems he notices that the chair is, is blocking the computer. So he, he wants to get this all streamed 
what's mm-hmm. happening in front of him. Yeah. And yeah. He has a sense for that. But as, as like someone who, when I watch videos, I'm always thinking like, is this even real? That would, to me, I would see that if I didn't, if he wasn't my drug dealer when I was 13, I would have like, um, been like, oh yeah, that's obviously fake. Like why would someone in the middle of an argument with the cops move, you know, the chair or something like that to, to get uh, a good shot. But yeah, this, the Malky that you see, the Malky woodland you see in this, th- these videos, it's like the same guy that I dealt with when I was a kid on those two experiences, except he was a lot younger. He had a full head of hair. He wasn't cross-eyed. Like now he's very cross-eyed in these videos. What I've read in researching him a bit is that he was beaten really bad with a baseball bat a few years ago. I'm wondering if maybe that is, I think the person may have even been a charge with attempted murder, but I th- I'm wondering if that's maybe why his eyes are cross-eyed. No, I don't know. Oh man, what a story um, that he's still still around. I believe he's in New Waterford is what I thought he said in one of the videos. I'm going to include, for anyone who wants to see some really crazy stuff, um, I'm going to have a link in the episode description where they can watch these videos if they decide to. Uh, but it is pretty raw and intense, but it isn't entirely like, as, as someone from Cape Breton who saw some of the seedier aspects of Cape Breton, it's not at all surprising that something like that exists there. I, I think of it this way is Frankie McDonald is like Cape Breton's pride and joy. This is kind of like, almost like the polar opposite of someone like that where it's this raw unfettered person with a camera except not doing anything amazing and spectacular i i'm surprised there's not more of these types of live streams occurring from you know the bedrooms across new waterford and glace bay well there's there's a lot of there's a lot of you know characters on the island that that would have probably a similar style of content i'm surprised that there's not more, but you know, he's, he's doing it and he's the one that's uh, cracking that glass ceiling and, and uh, making, making (laughs) it happen. So he's not very successful. Like his, he has that live video of him pulling a knife and the cops like tackling him while live streaming. It has like 2000 views, but all it's going to take is one cracked nut. Like, you know, like someone it's, it's going to be like, all it's going to take is, 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 the right person to share this, it goes viral, goes crazy, and then all of a sudden it blows up, and and you were on the ground floor. Yeah, maybe this could be this could be the thing. Someone in the chat said it's the cre- it's the best story that you've covered on the show. I've been doing this for six years, um, so I'm glad that I finally got around to. They Malky might mean Woodland. keep Canada weird specifically. Uh, yeah, as that's opposed good. to the entire length of the nighttime podcast. Okay, yeah, after three episodes. Um, But this is working out. How do you feel like three weeks into collecting weird stories and discussing them? Like, do you think we're doing our part to highlight the weird and wonderful aspects of the country? I think we're, we're covering it week by week. And, you know, we're letting the show blossom into whatever it becomes like a, Mm -hmm. like a beautiful butterfly and, Mm -hmm. and we'll see, see where it goes. Yeah, what we need is people listening. If uh, if in your little town, or your big town or big city, if there's some weird, bizarre thing in the news, 
something unique or provocative, um, let us or know. Or even and, something that's maybe not in the news. Because right now we're kind of getting our stories from articles from different news organizations that are posting about maybe stranger stories that are going on around mm -hmm. the country. But maybe there's some stories that aren't being reported out there that are very weird and could be talked about on the show. Yeah, like, well, Malky Woodland's certainly not in the news. I, no, I haven't seen no. uh, CBC cover his show. You're the first organization to give give attention to to Malky and yeah, and who knows where that's going to go? You know, now you're going to. I would all have your him listeners on. are going on to uh, to his YouTube channel to check him out and see all the the crazy videos he posts. Oh yeah, if you if you do check it out, you should leave a comment and say uh, "Nighttime Podcast sent me," because <laughs> maybe it'll get his attention. And if he wants to come on, I would have him on the show, and I'll tell him about how. He uh, got me started on like a short life of crime as a young child. I think you were destined for crime without the intervention of any other people. I think you were heading down a dark path. Regardless, <laughs> you were just meant to see to, to meant for that darkness. Mm -hmm. um, I'm gonna go out with this. I'm gonna try Tim Hortons one more time. Oh yes, let's let's give them a ring. It's late there now. There, I had a question for you. I'm doing a, a research project on donuts, and I just I wanted to know with Tim Hortons. I know there's like two types of donuts. There's ones that are called like cake donuts that are like poured from a batter, and then there's ones called yeast donuts that are cut, kind of like bread. Do you, what kind do Tim Hortons serve? Are you able to tell me? You would have to call Tronto, Oakville, and our factory because we don't bake anything from scratch anymore. So most of us don't know any answers. Oh, okay. All right. So it's Oakville that does it. Mm -hmm. All right. I'll try. I'll try to find their number. Thank you. Bye. 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 Oh yeah, I forgot those fools don't cook their own donuts anymore. Nothing is made in there except the, you know, destroying of dreams donuts. That's the only one. <laughs> um. Well, man, Tim Hortons. Get it together. Tim Hortons can just go fly a kite. Um, all right, let's end with that, buddy. All right. Until next week. Later. I want to thank you for joining Aaron and I in our Keep Canada Weird discussion. But before we part, I have some thanks. First, a big thanks to Aaron for sharing another evening with me and with you, the listeners of Nighttime. I want to give a thanks to Monte Data for contributing the music for this episode. It's a piece called Noir Tokyo. But the most important thanks is to everyone who listens to Nighttime, as without your interest and your support, Nighttime would be as pointless as it would be impossible. But with that said, keeping the show alive is and has always been an uphill battle. So if you want to help take a bit of weight off the show's back, Make sure you're listening on the premium feed. And not only does it make the show possible, it'll give you more of each topic than you'll find here on the free feed as I'm adding exclusive content regularly and maintain an archive of no longer available episodes that are only now found on the premium feed. So for about the price of a cup of coffee, subscribe to the premium feed at patreon.com slash nighttimepodcast. And on the topic of the premium feed, let me thank the newest subscribers, Lisa, Rhonda, Joe from Embers and Ashes, and Jocelyn. Thank you for going premium. And for anyone else out there who wants to help keep Canada weird, 
You can give us a big hand by simply sharing this episode on social media and letting like-minded friends know what we're doing here. If you have any story ideas, if you want to give feedback on the show or send a voice memo to us, you can reach me at nighttimepodcast.com slash contact. And of course, I'm often live on the Nighttime Podcast YouTube channel. Aaron and I, in fact, record these episodes every Tuesday night at 8.15 p.m. Eastern, which is 9.15 p.m. Atlantic time. Maybe you'll join us. So until next time, take care of each other, hug your loved ones tight, and let me know if you see anything weird. The Nighttime Podcast is written, hosted, and produced by Jordan Bonaparte. Copyright Jordan Bonaparte. Beautiful, serene, majestic, the true north, strong and weird. <laughs>